The scripture reading this evening comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's continue praying. Father, as we return to this well-known psalm, it's our prayer that in, in our study and brief moment of reflection tonight, that you will help us to suck all of the meaning out of this 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 psalm that it its richness and 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 meaning and encouragement and and the way that it sets high a bar for life in this world we pray father to to glean all of that in such a way that that we not only are changed father but we find joy and and peace and in an optimism and an enthusiasm and 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 a, uh, a a yearning for a different kind of life to become a reality and so to this end we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to bless us father as we listen again and think about these words from king david and we ask this in the name of the greatest King Jesus, Amen. There's an old joke. Uh, it's not. It's really not all that old because it deals with social media, but it's been around for a while. It's an old joke about a young man who was hearing uh, Jesus say, "Follow me," and he said, "Okay." And he asked for Jesus's Twitter account, and Jesus says, "No, I mean, follow me literally." And, and that's really what this Psalm 23 is about. It's a call to follow God. And to recap, uh, it's, it's, it's been a couple of Sundays since we've been able to get into Psalm 23. <coughs> the first part of the Psalm, which is about a shepherd, and a shepherd uh, leading the sheep to green pastures and still water, and the sheep lying down, is to reaffirm in our thinking and our understanding that there is no other God like God. There is no other shepherd in our life like God. He is the kind of shepherd who supplies all that we need to be able to thrive and to flourish and to grow and, and to be the kind of humans that God wants us to be and has always wanted us, created us to be. And that imagery of the sheep lying down is, is that key metaphor there at the very beginning of the psalm. Sheep do not lie down unless they're not feeling very anxious, unless there is that sense of peace, that they are in safety, that they're not vulnerable, that all of their needs are being met. The second part of the psalm, which sort of culminates with the imagery of the valley of the shadow of death, is, is, is very interesting to me because the way that it's phrased, uh, 
you know, we do have a worst-case scenario kind of way of thinking and approaching life, right? We either approach life in this worst-case scenario way of thinking where we go, uh, I, I just can't believe that this kind of thing is happening. And, and we're rattled and, and we're shaken because we just can't believe that that kind of thing happens in a time like this. It's a little bit naive and it doesn't really look at reality through the lens of, of the Bible. Uh, the flip side of that is, 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 um, is it, in the worst case thinking is, uh, I just knew that this was going to happen to me. And that is going through life not naive, but just always expecting the other shoe to drop, that there's going to be a part of the sky that's going to fall in on you. And, and David is neither of these when it comes to the reality of life in this psalm. He doesn't say, I can't believe I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or I just knew that one day I was going to be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. What he says is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There is a confidence in David because he has chosen to follow God as his shepherd. He has chosen not to follow the voices of the lead of other shepherds, but to follow God. And because of his knowledge of God, he walks through that valley in confidence. Now, if the first half of this psalm were to be put into a question, it would be something like this. Will you follow God like sheep follow a shepherd? Will you reject the other shepherds that you have allowed into your heart so that you can follow God exclusively the way that sheep follow a shepherd? Now, beginning in verse 5, <coughs> the psalm changes. It, it, it moves from being an ag lesson to something else. But as we get into verse 5, remember the context. In verse 4, it's the valley of the shadow of death that, that the psalmist that David has entered into. Verse 5 changes. You prepare a table. He's speaking to God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, it, there's, there's at least four images in that, tech, in that verse. There is a prepared table, which is a table... You know, my wife, when we have every Sunday the family coming over for dinner, there are special guests that are coming over for, for the holidays or just uh, guests coming in. My wife goes out of her way to tablecloths and ironed and, and linen uh, napkins and, and setting a table because we're eating at the big table and it's going to be a big meal and there's going to be big food. It's a prepared table. It's a special kind of a table. But he says, also head anointed with oil. It's about a cup overflowing. And the fourth one is, all of that, strangely enough, in the presence of enemies. In the presence of enemies. Now David was more than just a young shepherd. We tend to think of him uh, sort of euphemistically at, at times as the young shepherd boy with the, the, the lyre out in the, in, the, in the fields with the sheep composing psalms and its idyllic but David was more than that. David was, was more than just a king. He was a warrior king. The, the anointed, chosen by God, king of Israel. And, and the feast that is being described is a feast that takes place in light of battle. Now, one, one of the things that the Bible never says is that you take an enemy lightly. When you think about Ephesians chapter 6, 
our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against, you know, the, 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 the invisible forces of evil. Therefore, because our battle is with that, that that's be mindful and that's be prayerful and that's put on the armor of God. There, there's nothing that ever says in the Bible or even leads us to, to assume that we approach flippantly or lackadaisically or lazily spiritual warfare. The psalmist is, 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 is not talking about a feast, a big meal, a gigantic meal, a special meal, a prepared table before a battle. What he's describing is what happens after that battle has been won. Everybody has taken seriously the battle. They have done what they need to do to arm themselves. They've gone out. They've followed the strategy. They've won the battle. Now it's the time for the feast. And the scene would go something like this. There's a city is filled with people. And the word comes from sentries and lookouts that there's this enemy that's approaching the city and the army is called to arms and the army marches off to battle and the citizenry of that town or that city waits anxiously to hear about the outcome of the battle. Will we be victorious? Will we be safe? Will we be secure? Will we continue to live our lives as we have always lived it? Or because the enemy has won the battle, are we going to be enslaved? Are we going to be tortured? Are we going to be killed? Are we going to be plundered? That's the question. Finally, word comes to the city that the army is approaching. And they're anxiously waiting to see that army approach. And finally, they see the army. Now, if they only see the army, what might that mean? If they only see the army coming over the hill, down through the valley, up the road to the gates of the big city, what might that mean? These are the survivors. We've lost. These are the survivors of the battle. What does that mean for us? But if they see the enemy in chains, if they see the prisoners, it means that the army has been victorious. That they've not just survived, but they have been victorious. That they have vanquished and triumphed over the enemy. And people begin to celebrate because this great victory has been won. They're safe. Life is going to continue. They are going to be blessed. And the tables for feasting are prepared. And cups overflow. And all of this done in the presence of an enemy. Now what in the world does that mean? I mean, we get sheep and shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. Why this table? The foe of the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that is for David, has been defeated. And along with the I shall not want and I shall not fear is this. The third part of the psalm is I will overcome. I will not fall into quicksand and be swallowed up. Darkness will not overcome. The valley will never be so deep that I can't be raised up out of it. The enemy is so strong that he will overtake me and defeat me. And what David is describing here is not just the, the, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not fear, but there's a certain kind of confidence that those that have allowed God to be the shepherd of their life, that there's a confidence that they go through this life with. Now, uh, sort of a silly illustration and you know you've heard it before I've, I've, I've told this illustration over the years <coughs> Ellen and I were, were missionaries in Brazil Brazil is a fantastic place to live a great nation people are warm and wonderful but they lack one really important essential 
necessary and vital ingredient. They don't televise Dallas Cowboy football. And so uh, after being in Brazil a couple of years, my brother-in-law, whom we we spent uh, vacation with uh, last week, uh, he began recording all of the Cowboy games. Now this is this is back in the time when Jimmy Johnson has just taken over and Jerry Jones has just bought the team and the team is beginning to ascend again. He begins recording the Cowboy games and sending them to me on VHS tapes. I mean, how sweet was that? And I will admit that when I got those tapes, there was a little bit of a tear in my eye, you know, because I was finally going to be able to watch some football. Well, I take out a deep breath, and he has written me a little note that says, uh, I'm not going to tell you in this letter the score of the game because I want you to be able to watch it as if you were watching it live and be blessed and, you know, continue doing what you're doing down in Brazil and we love you and enjoy the game. So I take this deep breath, I pull the cassette out of the envelope and it says September 7th, 1992, Dallas versus Washington, win 23-10. to 10. <clears throat> I mean, what in the world? Now, I know who wins the game. And <coughs> I'm, I'm a little disappointed, but do not think that I'm not going to watch that game. No way. I pop that cassette into the VCR, and I watch every second of that game, including all of those commercials. Now, now you'll remember during this period of time that Dallas was coming off of two losing seasons. Uh, uh, two seasons before that, they were 1-15. and 15. Remember that? And then the next year, they were seven and nine. Now here it is, the beginning of September. They're playing the, the, the Redskins. And I, I got to tell you, during that period of time, I, I was suffering with all those losses. I was not a uh, non-anxious, fully self-differentiated cowboy fan at that point. I was, I was worried. But then it dawned on me as I watched the game that knowing the final score did not detract from watching the game. In fact, it kind of added to it. When those contemptible and heathen redskins scored, I didn't panic. I didn't stand up and yell at the television or pull my hair out. I calmly sipped a refreshing beverage and ate another chip. I had joy in my heart all the way through, even when they scored. I had joy in my heart all the way through because I knew the ending. I could watch them score. I could watch them make big plays against the beloved Cowboys and never panic and never, never lose confidence because I knew what was happening in the end. I, I wonder when, when people interact with me if they see that kind of confidence about life in me or you that when it comes to 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 crises or it comes to setbacks it comes to disappointments it comes to frustrating moments in life do they see that kind of confidence that there's nothing that really shakes us because we really know how things are going to end they're going to end with a prepared table what is one of the the, the most prevalent images of life in heaven with God. A feast and friends and presence uh, of, of, of people that you have, have not seen in years and years who have gone on ahead of you. 
the presence of the great shepherd. That's what heaven looks like. And, and Jesus keeps telling the stories over and over and over about great feast, great table, great feast, great table. Do we live with that kind of imagery in such a way that it's so real that it, 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 it keeps us from being shaken at the very foundation, the core of our foundation, when frustrating things come in life? And if the answer is probably not, it might be time to check that foundation of, of life. Because one of the things that, that you find in the psalm is that there's this rhythm to it. There's kind of a logic to the psalm. And the logic or the rhythm is, the Lord is this, therefore I will do this, or I will think this. The Lord is, I will. The Lord is, I will. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, so I am not going to fear. He prepares a table. It's God that's preparing the table. Therefore, I know I will overcome. And that becomes not just the witness of the Old Testament and the faithfulness of God to His people, but it is the direct teaching of the New Testament for us in the world is thus. One of my favorite passages in, in all of the Bibles, Romans chapter 8, could spend... Um, a lifetime trying to you know pull all of the teaching out of that text but there's this verse 32 that every time I, I read it there is um, there's always the opportunity to, to to gasp after all of these wonderful things that that Paul is has, has described in the Christ and it, it's against the backdrop of the great sinfulness and the great fallenness and the depravity of human beings. In the eighth chapter, he just sort of soars a little bit and, and exults in all of these, these, these great things and what they mean literally for us as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. And he says in verse 32, think of it this way. God, who did not spare his own son, when you, th when you think about you know, generosity, even human generosity at its best is never 100%, right, of, of the most cherished of our belongings. We give so much of the time out of our abundance. But think about what it is that God gave. Because of the need that God saw in us, and the need being so great that there would be nothing that we could do, that we could ever give, that we could ever achieve or claim that would allow us to get back into that relationship. That was the darkest part of that need. In our depravity, not only were we separated from God, but there was no way we would ever, ever, ever be able to cross that chasm. And because of love so great, God was even willing to allow his son to die for us. And Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So he's saying when you think about it, if God is willing to give you through his son's death, sacrifice your life, then why do you doubt 
that he'll take care of your food needs or your clothing needs or your money needs or your emotional needs or your relational needs or whatever needs you might have. If God is willing to give you the most precious thing in all of heaven in order for you to become his joy, then why do you doubt that he'll give you any of this other stuff? And knowing that and contemplating that, whenever you hit those obstacles and those speed bumps, and even when you hit the wall sometimes, it doesn't mean that your life is over because in Christ you are victorious. And that's how the, 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 the eighth chapter of Romans continues. Who in the world is going to bring a charge against any of those that God has chosen? Is anybody's charge against you going to be greater than the son that he is? He did not spare for your salvation. It's God who justifies, Paul writes. It's God that makes you right. Who then is the one who condemns? What is it in this life that can condemn you? He has given you his son. What can trump that? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and He has not stopped working. He is also interceding for us. So if all that's true, and you're beginning to embrace it and get your arms around it, He goes, think about this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face day, a death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than what? Say it. Conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach us is that regardless of what you face in this life, you know how this thing is going to end. The world is thus, thus have we made it. There are times of frustration, there are times of sorrow, there are times that bring grief to us. But there's a table, a prepared table in the presence of our enemy. In the context, valley of the shadow of death. We feast in the presence of a defeated death. We feast and our cup overflows and we're anointed with oil in the presence of all of our enemies. And as we go through life, we go through life knowing that if it's famine or sword or whatever it might be, there's nothing that separates us from the love of Christ. And there's nothing that separates us from Christ or God for all of eternity. And that's what David is trying to tell us, that that when you follow God as your shepherd, it does take anxiety, lowers the anxiety. You are able to lay down because of all of your needs being met. The, the, the needs uh, that, that you need to have met that make you human. 
They make you fully human the way that God intended you to be human. And even though you face, you face all kinds of dangers in this life, you never do it alone. You're always with God. God is always with you. It is His power, His strength, and it is His peace that goes with you even into the darkest part of the valley of the shadow of death. And because that's true, then the third part is true, and that is you can go through this life with a certain confidence and a certain uh, a poise and, and buoyancy in life regardless of what comes because you know how it ends. You overcome because Christ has made you more than a conqueror. And there's nothing that separates you from God. There is nothing that separates you from God. It's not the famines. It's not the sword. It's none of these things can separate you. And so you go through life triumphant in the sense of knowing that there can be joy even in the roughest of moments. Even when the Redskins score, you can rejoice because you know the Cowboys win 23 to 10. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. Maybe you've been struggling with some stuff in your life that um, has made you wonder where your ballast is in this life. That what it is that really is going to keep you afloat because of hardship, bad decisions, whatever it might be. What David is saying, keep your eye on that table. Keep your eye on that table with the abundance of food and the cup overflowing that's in the presence of your enemy because that is what defines your life. If there are some needs that you have that we need to be praying about and encouraging over, then come down to the front as we have our shepherds down here at the front to talk to them about those very things as we stand and praise God together.